0: Thank you Jenny. Wasn't that a beautiful song? I don't think I've heard Jenny sing that one before. Are you ready to go home? I'm ready. Any time the Lord says, "Dean, it's time," we'll be ready. But you know, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, you may say that sounds good and I want that and I want that in my life. I want to be there for in heaven. I want to go to heaven but only those who receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are going to heaven. Think of it this way. Heaven is God's house. And you can't just barge into somebody's house if you don't know them. You can't just walk in and say, I'm here. No, you have to be invited over. And God has put the invitation out to everyone throughout the world to come to, to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And then you get the invitation to be in heaven forever then you can be in god's house then it's going to be worth it all and all the pain and sorrows and things that we have in life we put behind us because this world with all its sin we're going to say goodbye and we're going to be with him forever and ever and so it's my prayer that there'll be no one who will be left behind no one left out but each person will be saved and go to be with the lord Shall we just look to the Lord in prayer? Father, we just thank you for today, and we thank you for this beautiful song, and we think of the trials and difficulties and pains and sorrows that we go through in this life, and sometimes they are, they're so hard, and yet it will be worth it all when we leave this world and we enter in your presence forever and ever. And yeah, we'll be singing Amazing Grace for 10 billion years, and it'll last longer than that. We'll be there forever and ever and ever. It will never end. And so we're thankful for that, Lord. Please hide me now behind the cross. May your word go forth in a powerful way today. May it convict us. May it challenge us. May it encourage us and strengthen us for the journey that we're on until the day that we enter those pearly gates. And we just ask for the Holy Spirit to have a message for each heart today and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you're like me or not, but I love eating fruits. And if you go to the store and you've, and you've picked out fruits long enough, you kind of know which ones to choose, right? So you, you thump the melons and you feel the fruit and you say, this one looks good and that one looks good. But you really never know how good that fruit is until you cut it open or you bite into it. And we've all had that experience and it's not a pleasant one. you bite into the apple and it's rotten, you throw it away. Or you you open that orange that you were just so looking forward to, that sweet, juicy orange is how it's supposed to be, and it's all dry, you know, it's past the season, kind of, and it's all dry, and you get disappointed. And it's like that in life for us as people, because it's not so much what we look like on the outside, but it's what is on the inside that counts. The title of our message is, It's on the Inside It's the inside that counts. It's the inside that counts. God is not so concerned about our outside. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it's a beautiful verse speaking of the time where Samuel went to call the new king, and he was going to anoint a new king, and he knew it was going to be from Jesse, and one of Jesse's sons, and so he was interviewing them, as it were. They were passing before him, and the first one comes, and his name is Eliab, And he comes to him, and so he thinks, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Tall, dark, and handsome. He's got to be the one, right? He's the one that anybody would choose. The one on GQ magazine, the one on TV, the one that's the most handsome and strong in appearance. But no, that wasn't the Lord's will. And the Lord says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, but, the Lord look, but for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, he, he's got vision that's better than any x-ray or better than any MRI machine. He can see right into our hearts he can see our true attitudes, our true motives, our true desires. There's everything. It's all exposed to the Lord. We can hide it from each other. We can even hide it from ourselves. We can even deceive ourselves, but he knows who we really are. He knows what's really in our heart. He knows why we do what we do, and the Lord wants us to be living a life that counts. He wants it to be Solid on the inside. I always think I want my inside to be better than my outside. So that when you get that fruit, as beautiful it is, and there's some colorful fruits and you can get them and they look good and they're beautiful, but they're even better on the inside because they're sweet and juicy and you enjoy it so much. Our Christian life should be that way. That when we're cut, that when we're opened up, when we're exposed, when we go through hard times and difficult people we work with and so forth, that the real person will, will be there, that they will see that we're not phonies, that this is the, re- the way we are on the inside. David wasn't perfect himself, he was, but he was a man after God's own heart. He made mistakes, he sinned, like we do. But his heart was right with the Lord. His motives, his desires were, as the song said today, all for Jesus, all for for Jesus. Well, last week, if you'll remember, if you were here last week, we talked about a couple in the New Testament by the name of Achilla and Priscilla. And we remembered the story about how the Lord used them in such a wonderful and powerful way. They were tent makers. They met up with the Apostle Paul. They were thrown out by the Romans from, from Rome and they had to leave there and they went to Corinth. They met up with Paul. They were a saved couple. They did everything together. They honored God. They had an impact on Paul. They had an impact on the great preacher, Apollos. They had a church in their home. They were a very godly couple, and I'm sure all the couples want to emulate Aquila and Priscilla. That was last week. And now we're going to look at a different couple. And I wish I could be so enthusiastic about them. I wish I could paint a picture of them that I painted of Aquila and Priscilla, but I can't. And the couple we're going to look at today is Ananias and Sapphira from the fifth chapter of Acts. If you'll turn in your Bibles and you want to turn and Ed's going to put it on the screen, but it's in Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 we have the story, the true story of Ananias and Sapphira. They, like Aquila and Priscilla, were Christians in the early church. They, like Aquila and Priscilla, are associated together. Their names are linked up in the scriptures, always mentioned together. But unlike Aquila and Priscilla, their lives did not bring glory to God. Their lives became a hindrance. Their lives became a stumbling block. Their lives became that which was not pleasing to the Lord at that point in time. And so we're going to ask ourselves the question, how do we as couples, how do we as individuals please the Lord? How do we more follow the, the lesson of Achilla and Priscilla and not follow Ananias and Sapphira? So we're going to look at that and we're going to look at the fact that God gave them so much, just like he's given us so much and entrusted us with so much, and yet they didn't give back to God what they should have Given, So let's look at Acts chapter 5. We'll begin at verse 1. I wish that somebody would make a movie on this. If there's any movie makers out there, anybody in Hollywood maybe hearing this could make a movie because this is riveting. It's like it keeps you on the edge of your seat as you read this story, and as you read it, it's just—it's fascinating, it's challenging, it's convicting, it's, um, it's an amazing passage, it really is. So we'll begin reading at verse 1, Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. And there's a but that starts this chapter, and we're going to see why the but was there in a little bit. But it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So fear came upon, great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes. Yes. For so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. Verse 11 So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things." May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts today. I was thinking about these two couples, so polar opposites. Really, Ananias and Sapphira are an antithesis. They're opposite of Achilla and Priscilla, and it's amazing, and we see in this passage three things that we're gonna look at briefly today. Number one, they're fateful, decision, their fateful decision. Secondly, we're going to see the fatal outcome, the fatal outcome, and the third thing is we're going to talk about the fearful impression that it left, the fearful impression that it left. You know, we've all done things that we've regretted. We've all done things that we'd like to take back, do over again. You can't do it in life, and I am sure, and I am confident that this couple was saved, All the commentators agree on that. We're going to see them in heaven. But can you imagine being in heaven? And so many of us have read the story of them. And so many of us have have been saddened by them. And I think they're going to be the first ones to tell us, I regret what I did. Both of them are going to say together, I regret what I did. But they're saved by the grace of God. They're saved by the blood of Christ. And all of that's going to be under the blood. All of it's going to be forgiven. All of it's going to be forgotten. No matter how bad of things we've done in life, God has a big eraser and He erases it all. He forgives every sin. There's no sin that cannot be forgiven when we come to Him and confess our sins. Some people don't get saved because they think, God can never love me. He can never forgive me. I've done too many bad things. You can be saved and you will be saved if you come in repentance. If you come and ask him to forgive you and admit you're you're a sinner and that you need Jesus as your Savior and invite him to come in. Accept him by faith. He will come in and he will wipe the slate clean and you'll have a new life in Christ. So we're going to look at their lives together. First of all, their fateful decision. You know, if you look back on the context Of this, it's really amazing because the early church was holy. They were pure. Their Christianity was righteous in God's sight. And that's why this was so scandalous in those days. I mean, things that go on today, I mean, that go on in the church today, for example, pastors that commit embezzlement or immorality or things like this are going on and it's only by the grace of God that He doesn't just take them away. Sometimes He does. We don't know why people die young. Sometimes they die because of this. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that there are many weak and sick among you and many sleep. If our lives are not a blessing, in fact, if we're causing hindrance and we're causing problems, the Lord can just quietly take us to heaven unbeknownst to anybody else. He'll remove us out of the scene. He'll take us away says, that's it. I'm going to take you home. I'm going to make it merciful for you and take you to heaven. And that's what he did with this, with this story. It's a sad story, but it was God's love and his justice that are showing here to do that very quickly. But you you look at this passage and it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold the possession. There's two men in the New Testament by the name of Ananias. One is the one who was there when Paul got saved and, and helped him and encouraged him and prayed with him and baptized him. That was the good Ananias. And this is really what we might call the bad Ananias. And he was the one who is forever known with his wife, Sapphira, for this situation here. But it says that they sold a possession. Now, the context of that, if you look back to chapter 4, in verses 32 to 37, we're going to see what was going on in the early church. It says in verse 32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of these things he possessed was his own, for they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. They didn't need welfare. They didn't need hand I mean, the Christians took care of each other. It was beautiful. So there was no one who lacked. It says, For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also called, named Barnabas, by the apostles, which translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, and having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. May God bless the reading of that passage of our hearts. The Christians did that. And I think probably Barnabas might have been the principal one who got the whole thing started. He owned some land, he sold it, he brought all the money to the apostles and they used it to support the saints. Others caught the same vision. Others did the same thing. The saints were joyful. They were giving to the Lord. They were giving first themselves to the Lord, and then they were giving their money, their time. They were serving. It was all about the Lord, not about themselves. Nobody felt, this is my house, this is my car, this is my anything. It was all, it belonged to the Lord. And that's one of the things that really got Ananias and Sapphira into trouble because they didn't realize that everything that they had didn't belong to them. It belongs to the Lord. It's His. I am just a manager. I'm just a steward. You're just a a manager and steward, a caretaker, a superintendent. You know, when somebody is the owner of the business and they hire somebody to manage it, the manager doesn't own it. They are managing it. They're, They're conducting the business for the owner and they're responsible and accountable to the owner. And we're responsible and accountable to God for everything He's given us from our time To our talents, to our treasures, to everything that we have, the gifts and abilities and skills and everything we have, we're responsible. And wouldn't it be sad when we stand before the Lord and the Lord says, Dean, look at what I gave you. I gave you the talents and the abilities and I gave you the opportunities and you didn't use it. Like the story that Jesus told in the parables of the minas and the parables of the talents. The first two people, they took the, the talents and they made more. The mine is the same thing and they were blessed. They were faithful. But there was that third person in each story who took the master's money and went out and buried it in the ground. Another one buried it in a napkin. And when the master came back, he said, What did you do? Well, I knew you were a hard person. You sow where you don't, you reap where you don't sow, and you're an exacting man and a hard man to work for. And I, here's your money. And the master says, you could have taken my money at least to the bank and drawn some interest on it. And then he cast out that third, that third servant. May God help us to realize how serious it is to use everything that we have from the Lord in a holy way and to not think of it as ours. It belongs to the Lord. And that's why the early Christians were able to love each other so much because they, they loved the Lord first, they loved each other, and when it came time to give, they just gave. And it's so neat for me to see how many people give their lives in our church to the Lord and give of their money to the Lord and all the things that we have. And it's a real blessing. But as the door opens, the crack of the door opens, we see into the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira. We're going to see kind of their true motives in what was going on because. It appears from this passage, if you read between the lines, that they wanted to look good too. They wanted to do what the other Christians were doing. They wanted to do what uh, Barnabas had done. They wanted to bring the proceeds of the sale to the apostles' feet. But they were thinking about it, and they were talking between the two of them. You know, we sold this land for $15,000. 15000 that's a lot of money. Ananias said to Sapphira, well, you're right, honey, it is a lot of money. But you know what? 10,000 would be good, right? If we give 10,000. 10,000 good, right? That's a lot of money to give to the Lord's work. Yeah, yeah, that would be good, 10,000. But then Sapphira might have said to him, "You know, honey, that the others are giving 100% of what they get from their land." I mean, how are we going to look? We gave 10,000 when the I mean when the we sold it for 15. I mean, what are we going to do? So they thought about it. Didn't pray about it, I'm sure. Didn't really think about this stewardship issue and how all of it really belongs to the Lord. You know, when you give 10% of your income, that leaves 90 left. It's not 90 for you and 10 for the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord. And we should realize that every penny we spend, we should spend it in the right way for God's glory. And here they were thinking back and forth, and they said, okay, this is what we'll do. Now, just between us, don't tell anybody anything. And those ladies you talk to in the little group and everything like that, don't say anything. We're going to tell them we sold this land for 10000 Nobody will know. Nobody will find out. They're still getting 10000 Okay, we'll do it. Okay, we'll do it. So they did it. And guess what? Everybody was so thrilled. Oh, yeah, Ananias and Sapphira gave their money. And, you know, they went and sold that land that they've been having. And and they were talking about using it for other things. And they decided to sell it and use it for the Lord. And, oh, it's a blessing. And, oh, Ananias, dear brother, you're so generous. Sister Sapphira, what a blessing you two are. Wonderful thing. And sure enough, they're just taking it all in. They're, they're not saying anything. They're just letting it kind of ride. You know, you can try to sweep things under the carpet in your life. You can try to hide it. You could, but you know what? God will expose it. God will expose it. If there's secrets, those deep, dark secrets that we have in our hearts, those secret sins can be exposed by the Lord, we have to deal with it. And that's what we see here in this passage. But you can't just blame Ananias. You have to blame Sapphira as well. They were both in on it together. There was collusion between the two of them. And it probably bothered them a little bit, but they said, no, they're still, it's going to be okay. It's all right. It's okay. But you know what? It wasn't okay. Because what they were doing here was they were lying. And it was not just lying to men, but as we're going to see in this passage, they were lying to God. How would you like to have that on your record? Lying to God? No. There's a lot of things people have on their records, you know, and they talk about a rap sheet, and they have the rap sheet, and they have all the crimes people have committed, and they're really bad things, but I would not want that to be on my record as having lied to the Spirit of God. Sometimes that's what we do. If we say we're committed to Christ, if we say we're living a holy life, if we say we're living all for Jesus, and we're not, we're living a lie. I spoke on that not too long back about the subject of hypocrisy. God does not want us to be hip- hypocrite. He wants us to be honest and sincere. And that's really what they were. It says... In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, I'm just going to quote this. It's from a different version. The NLT version says, But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those of their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. So it's amazing. But we thank God. That this story is in the scriptures. Because sometimes what the Lord does is he strips away the veneer of our life that looks so shiny and so good. And he gets down to the bottom of what we're really like and what he wants to do with us. Like Jim and I were talking before the scripture memory class, God's not finished with us yet. He's working on us. We're not going to be perfect. But if we have the desire to please him and serve him and give him the glory due to his name, he will use us for his glory. But here this couple is. We, thought, we found a way to have our cake and eat it too. That expression, have your cake and eat it too. They thought they had the best of both worlds. We can look good, we can look like we're really generous, and yet we still have that 5,000. And so I can imagine the situation. There's Ananias there at the house, and he's planning a little trip They're going to go on a cruise. They're going to take a Mediterranean cruise that they always wanted to take. So they're going to take that 5,000 that should have gone to the Lord, to be honest, and they're going to go on a cruise. So there he is. He's planning it out, the itinerary, where we're going to go. We're going to stop at Corinth, and we're going to go to Rome, and we're going to go all around the Mediterranean. It's going to be great. This 5,000 is going to be great. And then Sapphira... She's not with him. She went shopping for the trip. I mean, we're going to see how she returned from the shopping trip here because she was gone and didn't come back for three hours. It took her three hours at the mall to find all the good clothes and all the stuff she needed for the trip. I mean, you can read between the lines. That's why I would say I'd love to see a movie on this because you could really do it well. You could really do it well. But evil is evil. Sin is sin, and that is what was happening here. And what all commentators say, and what it's true from this scripture, it wasn't wrong for giving the lesser amount, but it was wrong for lying about it and saying it was the full amount. That was where the sin came in. When the Lord, when we pass the offering and when we do things, nobody's looking, nobody's saying you have to give this much, or you have to give that much. But when you do give it, give it from the heart, give it willingly. There was a story told by J. Vernon McGee, and Lorraine loves this man, Jay Vernon McGee. Well, he told the story about this one man down in Southern California in Pasadena, and he was a, kind of a rich man, a businessman, and he was going to give to their work. They were doing a youth foundation. They were going to serve the youth and everything, and this man was going to give a large sum, a large sum to the, to the work. And so they said, okay, we're going to do this. But they said during the meeting, we're going to do it all anonymously. Nobody's going to get any credit for it. We're just going to give the gifts and give it to the Lord and let the Lord do it. Guess what he did? He decided to give a very small, meager amount. And it came out later that he would have given that large amount had he been recognized. If someone had said, oh, dear Brother Jones gave X amount of dollars. Let's give, you know, clap for him and everything. God doesn't want us to do anything for the applause of men. He wants us to do the applause of of God. When we please the Lord, we should do it in secret. We shouldn't let our left hand know what the right hand is doing. We should be sincere. And we shouldn't care who gets the credit for it. We should give all the credit, all the glory to the Lord. And that's the problem they had with it. And so they failed to recognize that everything they had was under their stewardship, under their control. If you look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2, Paul talks about this very thing about stewardship and how we as Christians are stewards of everything God has given to us. It says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. You know if you want to be a steward if you want to be a manager if you want to control what god has given you you have to be faithful you have to be well entrusted and so that was the thing when there is responsibility there is also accountability because we are accountable to god now we may be accountable in life to our boss at work to our elders in our church and that is true too But ultimately, the ultimate accountability above all of that even is we're accountable to God. What does the Lord think about it? What does the Lord think about what I'm doing? What does the Lord think of how I'm taking care of His things? You know, if you have a ministry, you're a steward of it. You're responsible for it. You're entrusted with a great thing. You know, our Sunday school teachers that teach our kids, they're stewards. They are entrusted by God with our kids. Don't we want good people? to be in charge of that. And that's the great thing. We have great Sunday school teachers because they live Christ. They're examples and they teach our kids. And it's a wonderful thing. But if you have somebody that has things and they're not managing those affairs properly, it's not going to work out. So that's why we need accountability and responsibility going hand in hand. We see it all the time. We hear the old expression, your chickens come home to roost because those chickens can cackle pretty loud just like what happened in the days of king saul and samuel said what are what are these sounds i hear the lowing of the oxen and the cattle what are all these sounds oh saul said i've done the will of the lord and the people save them the people save these animals and no Obedience is better than sacrifice And to heed than the fat of rams, the Bible says And so what they should have done Is been honest and sincere about it And not lied to the Holy Spirit So in our second point this morning, briefly, is that There was a fatal outcome You know, you can't dabble in sin You can't flirt with it And get away with it It does not work And this is what happened with them There they were He's there in the house And she's out And the judgment of God is going to come all of a sudden. Can you imagine the doorbell rings or there's a knock? I'll use the knock Now you can imagine nowadays I'm you know put it in today's world, you have a door and you have that little peephole in it, right? that little glass thing, and you can kind of look out and he's looking looks like peter here oh boy i bet he's coming over to thank me again for my wonderful and generous gift right i guess he's coming to thank me i guess he's gonna maybe he's gonna put me in charge of the son of encouragement ministry like barnabas is called the son of encouragement they may have had a a committee and so maybe he's gonna put me in charge of it because he thought boy yeah i'm so generous he opens the door and Peter doesn't, he doesn't get into any pleasantries. He doesn't greet him. He doesn't say anything except the words that come out in this passage. He says, Ananias, why has Satan, Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? then before he can answer that, he goes on to say, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Wow, can you imagine if that hit you? That would be like a raging inferno just hitting you right there in the face, right between the eyes. Peter just filled with the Holy Spirit, just boom. Just tells him, I don't think, and I was reading some of the commentaries last night, Peter probably didn't know this was going to happen, but God is in his church, and he brought immediate judgment on Ananias. It says he fell down right on the ground and died. Immediately died. It's amazing, and Peter was thinking, wow, Lord, wow. You know, it's an amazing thing there's so many times in our life God gives us second chances, He forgives us and some of the things that we do, but this in this case, it was so severe. It had to be dealt with in a severe way, and the Lord said, "I'm going to take him out of the way. I'm going to take him home right, right now." And it probably was quite a thing. Right there in his living room, right there at the front door, he falls down dead. Amazing, and the young men come and they wrap him up in a linen cloth or linen sheet and they carry him out Well, there was some unfinished business there Where's his wife? Where's his wife? Now, why would Peter not just have left and we leave it there? It's kind of a sad day for the church. We lost one Why wouldn't he let? Because he knew by the Holy Spirit that there was someone else involved in that decision There was someone else involved in that fateful decision that had to be dealt with. Can you imagine Peter? There he was, comes into the house and waits. Five minutes, maybe she'll be back. Ten minutes, maybe she'll get back. Half an hour goes into an hour. An hour goes to two, and finally, Peter's looking at his watch. They didn't have watches, maybe like we do, but he's looking at his watch, checking his uh, cell phone for the time, and he's saying... Maybe we had better go. And all of a sudden, Sapphira comes home. She's got the gifts in her hand. She's got the packages, like I mentioned. And there she was. And now Peter is going to talk to her. And like the same thing happened, he's going to deal with her the same way. And says, so it says in verse 7, So it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And yet it's interesting to me, if you look back at the verse... In verse 5, it says, Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. It says, So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. The word spread quick. They heard about it, but she didn't. She was at the mall. (laughs) She was out doing things. She wasn't among the people of God at that point. The news had not reached her. She was totally oblivious of what had happened to her husband. So she walks into that not knowing what is going to happen. And Peter says to her, in verse 8, and Peter answered, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. In other words, in our analogy, did you sell it for $15,000? Or 10000 did you sell it for 10000 Yeah, we sold it for 10000 Yeah, yeah, 10000 It still is not registering with her that she should be repenting and saying, I know we really sold it for 15, for dollars But she doesn't do it. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Wow. Wow. That's why I say this message, I kept saying the same word over, I was preparing it yesterday, I was at my desk. I kept saying, Wow, Lord. Wow. Wow. You're in your church. You're a holy God. You want us to be a holy people. There's no room for deceit. There's no room for corruption. There's no room for being a bad testimony and a stumbling block. The last thing I want to be in my life is a stumbling block to anyone. Jesus said it's better that a millstone be cast around your leg and you be thrown into the ocean than to be a stumbling block to one of these least of these saints. God wants us to be honest. He wants us To be sincere. So three hours later she shows up and there she is. And she then falls to the floor and dies immediately also. Right there on the spot and the same young men are still around. They come in, they pick her up and they carry her out and they bury her right next to her husband. You know what I call that folks? Dear saints, wasted years. Think of how much they could have done with the Lord, how they could have used their home, how they could have used their money, how they could have used their time, how many people they could have won to Christ, how many things they could have done that would have been a blessing to the early church, like Aquila and Priscilla. But their lives were wasted. Wasted. There's a song we sang it years ago, some might remember it. Wasted years. Wasted years. Oh, how foolish. And I'm sure... That if we talk to them in the future and, they, and we ask them, what do you regret the most? And they say, I regret hurting my Lord. I regret disappointing Him. I regret letting down our leaders like Peter and the others that were so loving and so good to us to disappointing them, but most of all, to letting the Lord down. The Lord wants us to be sincere and honest and to serve Him so that we don't have those regrets and we don't have to say wasted years because we have so much to accomplish before the Lord comes. We really do. And that's why we have to be committed to Christ. And if we say we're committed to Him, we need to mean it. And so the final point as we close this morning is the fearful impression. You know, the devil was behind this whole incident. He said it. Why has the devil... Put it into your heart to lie to God, to the Holy Spirit. That's what what Peter said to Ananias. And so when you look at that, you see it. The devil was behind it. He wanted to destroy the church, and so he couldn't destroy it from the outside, so he tried to get in on the inside. He tried to destroy it, tried to ruin the church through this incident. And so what is amazing to me is the Lord turned this very sad, tragic, horrible thing that happened, God is able to even turn it into a blessing and to turn it around. Because it says in the 11th verse, and I love this, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. It was sad. It was traumatic. It was difficult to take. Nobody liked what happened. Nobody liked it at all. But God used it in their lives so that the church would be holy and be pure and be able to serve the Lord. It's interesting when I was reading the commentaries last night too, our our dear brother uh, Ironside was saying about this, the church was never as pure again as it was before this incident though. Even though the Lord dealt with them, there was still, it left that little bit left there. And that's why. That's why we want to please the Lord. That's why we want to be a blessing because... Even after confessing our sins and forsaking, getting right with the Lord, there's still going to be some consequences that you have to live with. There were consequences to to that sin that lived on. Even so, but praise be to God that God used it. And the very thing that the devil tried to use to keep souls from being saved, the Lord made more souls get saved. And it's amazing to me. And that's the way it is. And we've seen it in recent past where the devil tried to hurt the church. He tried to, he tried to destroy our church. And guess what? The Lord says, nope. In fact, souls are going to be saved. People are going to be baptized. The work of God's going to continue on because you don't mess with God and you don't mess with His church. Anyone who messes with the church of God, God's going to mess with them. Anybody that tries to destroy the church of God, God's going to destroy them. It's true in the scriptures. It mentions it in 1 Corinthians. So we have to rejoice today. We have to be thankful that when things happen in our lives like this, when there's an incident like this, that we can see that God's going to use it for the good. doesn't mean it was good that it happened, but it means He turned it for the good. And He turns things in our lives for the good. Yes, as we close the meeting this morning, let's remember... Our lives are stewardship. It's a stewardship. If Ananias, can you imagine, if Ananias had really thought of their lives as a stewardship, they'd have never done it. They would have realized this money is all the Lord's anyway. Let's give it all to the Lord. Or they'd have been honest and say, we can still have the 5,000, but let's give the 10 and it'll be a blessing. But they would have been honest and their lives would have been so blessed, the Lord would have blessed them and given to them way more than they gave. Because whenever you give to the Lord, whenever, with money or time or effort, the Lord's going to repay you tenfold, a hundredfold for, for what you do. If they'd had just done that, but to keep it a lie, to keep it a secret, it was devastating. It was devastating for their lives. They both died. And so may God help us to realize that it's the inside that counts. It's our inner motivations, our inner desires, our inner attitudes that are really important. Let's get down on our knees today and say, Lord, is there anything in my life that you want to clean up? Anything in my life you want to correct? Anything in my life that needs changing, Lord? Change me today. Don't let me be dishonest with it. Don't let me set it aside or say, you know, it's okay. You know, you hear Christians today, uh, many Christians today say, well, people do it all the time. No. No doesn't work that way. That is not a good justification for doing everything. People do it all the time. People in the church do it all the time. I see them doing it all the time. No, but is that what the Lord wants you to do? High standards, folks. We have high standards on our lives. It's the Lord's standards. It's not the standards of men or the standards of even people in the church. It's what the Lord says in his word. He's given us the word. He's given us the standard. We have to live by it. If we don't, we're going to have to answer to the Lord for that. So may the Lord encourage our hearts today. We saw in two weeks the difference between these two couples, Ananias and Sapphira is the one we today, and last week, Achilla and Priscilla. We can see the couple we want to emulate We want to emulate Achille and Priscilla. And we want to be careful that we don't allow those tendencies like Ananias and Sapphira did. They carried on this ruse. They carried on this deceit for so long. Some people carry on deceit in their lives for years and years and years, and then it'll get exposed. And all of a sudden, we're shocked. We're shocked. What happened? This person, I I never dreamed they were like that. They were always that way on the inside, but now it's finally been exposed on the outside. It's sobering to me. It is convicting to me. We have to to be right with God. We have to be pure in our lives, and we have to serve Him. And when we do that, our lives will be enriched and blessed. And one day when we get home to heaven, and when we, like Jenny sang in that song, when we get there, and the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. Maybe you had a little bit less but, and you gave a little bit more. It'll be worth it. Maybe you could have spent your time on things you like to do, hobbies and pastimes. There's things. But maybe you sacrificed a little bit, did it things for the Lord. There's going to be huge rewards, huge dividends, and it's all going to be from the Lord himself. He's going to say, I appreciate what you did. I loved how you did it. Thank God. We're going to be that way. So we just look to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning? Father, we thank you for the word of God, and we thank you, Lord, that your word is the full counsel of God. And sometimes we read these passages, we just kind of pass through them, we gloss over them, we don't really apply them, we don't really think about how they, what they mean to our lives, Lord. And we just pray that we'll be honest and sincere, that we'll live holy lives, not secretive, not holding things in our hearts that are not right, not living a lie, Lord, help us to be true, serious Christians, Lord, in this world, so that we can be a blessing to the people we meet, neighbors, friends, family members, co-workers, and that we'll never have to worry about our lives because they will be uh, right with you, Lord. And so we just commit this time to you. We pray you'll dismiss us with your blessing. We ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen.